Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster who's interviewed roughly 1,400 celebrities over a 30-year period for nearly all major media outlets in Ireland. More recently, during the summer of 2020 to be precise, and partly as my personal response to being in lockdown during the COVID-19 pandemic, I became a podcaster starting with the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast based on my archive, which contains those 1,400 cassette-taped interviews, plus countless radio broadcasts I made. But yesterday, November the 20th, 2020, what I made was a mistake, inadvertently, in response to all the nonsense that has arisen yet again this Christmas in relation to the lyric of the Pogues and Kirsten McCall's recording, Fairy Tale of New York. I uploaded a clip of Kirsty talking about Shane McGowan, and the song. Since then, in fact, in the past hour, I've watched on YouTube an immensely moving and inspiring documentary called Who Killed Kirsty McCall, which details her mother's Herculean struggle to get justice in relation to the speedboat accident that killed her daughter, this time as it transpires and I hadn't realised 20 years ago. And so I see that it was insulting of me in a way as someone who owns an entire cassette tape of Kirsty McCall talking with me about her own music and her life, to have just posted that clip about Fairy Tale of New York. I apologise to her fans and her family and to anyone who loved the woman for doing so. By way of trying to make amends, I shall now upload the entire tape, which I dedicate to the memory of Kirsty McCall, who was born in 1959 and died in 2000. By the way, if you want to read the article I wrote about Kirsty back in 1993 when we did this interview, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. Because he's not such a social animal, you know. Transparency. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, there's a lot of things I like in songwriting. I like wit, which is something that people, you know, people sort of get really excited. You know, they get kind of have a very strange reaction when they hear things that are funny in lyrics, I think, you know. Right. Because they associate them with novelty records, you know, it's got to be a novelty if it's funny. And I don't see why. I think humour is a really important part of life, you know. Mm. I mean, it's it's a great defence <coughs> against, you know, all the misery in the world, and it's it's sort of you know very important to. I don't see why you can't exercise wit when you're writing a song. You know? But there's this kind of uh, notion that no great art uh, is made in terms of humour. You know what I mean? It's a kind of naive notion that great paintings, great theatre, great films, great music has to have this dark thread or dominant thread of darkness. Well, no, you know but I, I, mean? I Which... think a lot of humour does have, you know, dark elements to sure, it. Because, humor, yeah. because if it's not, if there isn't a grain of truth running through it, then it's generally not really funny, you know. Right. I mean, the funniest things are things that, you know, there might be awful things to laugh about, but you just know it because it's, they're true, you know. Um, well, I think the Marx Brothers were as, you know, made as, as great pieces of artistic film as anyone else, you know. Did I see you mention the Marx Brothers in relation to your family background? I mean, what? In terms <laughs> of that was what you were introduced to, that kind of... Um, do, does, the, does the father connection, does the name connection bother you that people do come in with inevitably some questions like that, or is it just... Well, it's... Um, has it ever been a kind of... It's hard to talk about things that you've been trying to sort of forget about for 20 years, and when people are constantly asking you about, you know, your childhood and your family... Yeah. Um, it just sort of rakes it all up and you start feeling really depressed again. Cause, you know, do, do you? Have you not come to terms? Is it not better to kind of rake it up, deal with it, and then get rid of it rather than...? Well, I do try and deal with it, but it doesn't seem to um, make me feel terribly much better after I've dealt with it. Really? <laughs> what about writing about it? Would that be part of... Well, that's more something I do as well, but um, 
you know, there are still some things that are just painful to talk about, and it's like the whole idea of talking about incredibly personal things to people that you don't know. Sure. You know. Or writing about them, though, not talking about, you know, writing directly, direct, explicit songs about those things, those subjects. Well, there's, yes, it would might be good on one le level, but on the other hand, you just feel like, well, maybe you should just leave things alone, you know? It's a mm -hmm. long time ago, and just, you know... Nobody meant to hurt each other, sure. but it was all, you know, that was the way it was. Would you ever think that dropping the name? So the questions don't arise, it probably would come in. Well, I think it'd be a bit late now, you know, I've been yeah. making records yeah. for 15 years, it's yeah. hardly good, so yeah. Yeah. I could change my name now, <laughs> but would anybody be very convinced? You well, know? Did you ever consider it? Did you ever think, I don't need all this, so I'm going to just... Well, it didn't occur to me when I started out, you know, maybe it was very naive, it didn't occur to me that it would be such a big deal, really. Right. Because my contemporaries and my my sort of age group, you know, my peer group, were not so aware of, you know, my dad's music. It sure. very much belonged to an older generation, yeah, you know. Yeah. And do you ever get any kind of approach or flack from people from that generation that you haven't discussed to carry on some kind of tradition they don't see you doing? Well, no. not very often, but I think occasionally when I've done gigs, you know, you, you see a few people and you think, oh, they don't look like the typical <laughs> audience, you know. <laughs> They're waiting and, uh, for the hand in the air and the... I think they might be waiting for, you know, maybe they just see the name and think, oh, she's going to be doing all her father's songs or something. But they're, really, yeah, but they're yeah. obviously people who've never kind of listened to any of my records, otherwise they'd know that what I do, you know. Yeah, but like I said earlier, maybe if they did listen, and this is what I find just off-putting about purists in any field, if they did listen to the fact that you use rap or you do use whatever strains it are, it still is folk music. But they've kind of cut off in 1960, I don't know, 50, 60, and anything beyond that cannot be pure, whereas they really should be checking out. Like, I, just find, I find boundaries really, you know, pointless in, our, in any kind of art. I mean, right. it's, it's like ridiculous, you know, sort of uh, getting so sort of narrow-minded about something. You know, if you right. really believe passionately in something is great, then you don't have to be narrow-minded about it. You can draw in influences from everywhere. Well, you've done, you do that. You do that. I mean, that's your whole range. I yeah, well, I, I like, you know, I do have a huge... <laughs> you know, range of stuff that I listen to, and I suppose that's reflected in what I do. You know, I like Latin music. Right. You know, I like... I thought I misdominated the last album. Yeah, well, well we recorded too. a lot of the last album in New York and used a lot of Latin musicians, you know, and I was really... It, it was very exciting. It was an incredibly exciting recording session, you know, when you've got a, an eight-piece band playing right. live, right. and um, they're all superb, you know. I mean, I get great kicks out of working with great musicians, and I'm lucky in that sense. You know, I've been unlucky in other things, but... I've always had a wealth of great, you know, greatly talented people right, to work right. with. What was the response to the rap track? Did anybody say this was a strange mix or they didn't understand why you were well, you using know, a rap? I think some people who didn't like anything I'd ever done wouldn't like that, you know, but I think that, you know, in America and stuff, it got more attention than anything I'd ever done before. And, um, you know, it was a hit, so, I mean, obviously the public quite liked it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how did that uh, affect the approach to the new album? I mean, what was the dominant musical... Well, I don't... It's spread wide you know, again. Yeah, when you start writing for an, an album, I mean, the last thing I do is sit down and think, well, right, well, what, you know, how am I going to change it all from the last album? I mean, my approach is, you know, I've got something going on in my head that I want to write about, and then I write about it, and then I think, right, I've got this song, and it's fairly kind of like this, and maybe I should use this drummer on it and, and that bass player and, right. you know... You, it's a question of picking the musicians to who, who, are, who are going to be, you know, suitable for that particular song. And, you know, for me, I don't think, okay, well, every song on the album has to have featured exactly the same musicians. Right. Although on this one, I think 
there's a smaller sort of core of people that I was working with than on any of the other albums I've ever done. And um, that was because it was all recorded in London and a lot of it was, you know, recorded with a band that I was working live with. Right. So, um, you know, there's less kind of, less foreign influences, if you like. There's a musical consistency though, they're running just this kind of, every kind of mood. Then it was a, Thank God for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, uh, I'll talk about specific tracks, but just in terms of when, uh, Two mentions of other things that people are going to hook into, which is the Elvis thing. Why was he and I? With the, that's humor. I mean, you started off obviously with humor in that one. Why was Presley the icon in that? What was that? Just well, it's not about. It's not him as an icon. It was about you know, it's sort person. of about a guy who thinks he's you know, who's kind of acting like he's swaggering. It's a swaggerer, right. you know, <laughs> and he basically you know, I think there's a. There's a little bit of Elvis in a lot of men, you know what I mean? And it's that kind of it's that part that they choose to project, you know, like, hey babe, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm cool, look at me, you know. And um it's more attractive. It was more um or ludicrous. It's both. All right. <laughs> Depending on the, on the male. On, yeah, and where you know, how grown up you are, I suppose. But right. um you know, it's more about Elvis as a state of mind than, okay. than being specifically about Elvis, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody knows Elvis, and it, sure. there's no point saying, "Oh, well, he thinks he's so and so," and you're, you know, naming some obscure French kind of uh, poet, you know. <laughs> it wouldn't, it wouldn't rhyme. It, it sounded would, better. Yeah. Rambo <laughs> thinks he's Baudelaire. The goddamn Baudelaire. It doesn't really work, does it? And the uh, the other thing is, um, we've talked about kind of purest response to music. The uh, the Pogues have been criticised for shame being a rock sensibility. I mean, rockers love it. But again, the kind of Irish traditional element is like, and the Dubliners get it, and a lot of the other bands do, for bringing in rock rhythms. I mean, you thought that mix again was healthy, breaking boundaries, but all they've done together. All... Well, I don't think you can keep, if, if something is a, is a, you know, if you've got a valid art form, you can't sort of suspend it in time. Right. And you can't say, oh, well, look, well, you know, we've never, we've never used electricity yet, so we're not going right. to use electricity, <laughs> you know. Even though everybody else has been doing it for two hundred yeah, years, do you know what yeah, I mean? It's just yeah. kind of, I think it's just unnecessary to be so kind of pedantic about it all. Right. I mean, why not use, you know, good elements of all kinds of things? You know? But it's also made that music. It made that music more relevant to a different generation. I mean, that's yeah. probably one of the most. I've seen it described as a postmodern Christmas song. <laughs> you know, the first postmodern Christmas song. But it's the kind of Christmas song that young people. That's the one they hook to. Not not like Christmas. Of you know what I mean? So it's become kind of. Well, I think that's also. I think that was in. I don't think it's because it's. I mean, it's not a particularly rock sort of presentation in that song. No, not presentation, but the kind it's of very traditional in a way. I mean, it's all the, you know, the playing on it is fairly traditional. The, yeah. the instruments are sort of fairly traditional, but instrument, the, and the, then the orchestra, you know, is a is a very traditional. I think, yeah, when I say rock sensibility, I mean the attitude. Yeah, the attitude. The lyric, the, the, the lyrics. The lyrics. Yeah. The lyrics are so good. I think that's. I mean, that's why I like it so much is because it, so much, you know especially at Christmas, you know, a lot of the music is so cloyingly yeah, sentimental yeah, yeah. that it makes you, you know, it's like eating too much cake, you yeah, know, right. it just makes you feel sick. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, you know, not again. It's like, I can't handle white Christmas again. And yeah. when you get something that, you know, is much more earthy and um, warts and all, but it's yeah. still it's still very it's romantic. Post-punk. Post yeah, but it's, it's very romantic without being sort of Crying. sickly, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you, do you like Shane as a lyricist? I mean, he's yeah, I think he's brilliant. One of the strongest composers, yeah. Well, he's yeah. I mean, he's a fantastic lyricist. You know, I just I wish he'd look after himself better oh, and yeah. well, you know and be able to sort of 
um, put his lyrics across better because I think you know he he do himself better justice. I mean, it's but he's not throwing them across at all now. Well, he, which is, a sadness, he is actually. I mean, he's oh. got a new band together and stuff, and I did I did a gig with him at Christmas, oh. and um, he was in really good form. Was it was a better form than I've seen him for a long time. So right. I haven't seen him for a while, but hopefully that you know. The image is of him is a man going down, drowning, you know, having killed his talent, and slowly just. But um, that's been his image for an awfully long time, and I think he'll probably outlive all of us. You know? Do you think so? I hope so. I hope he proves it's all wrong. I hope so. But there is this kind of uh, like when he turned up on Van. Like the, the Brit thing, it's like, will he turn up? Will he be able to perform? Is he going to make a fool of himself on television? Which is horrible when you think of that core talent that's there. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a great waste, really. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the, uh, the, just give me a little more, because you talked about the vocal arrangements. The, uh, like, yeah, not about the work you've done with people, but about the art of vocal arrangements. There's a kind of thing in rock culture where songwriters are at the top of the hierarchy, and people who just sing or do other things are kind of like somehow less. And I don't think it's always recognized the art that goes into arranging. Well, yeah, I mean, it's as valid an instrument as anything else. And, you know, you, it's not, you can't sort of dismiss people who, who use their voice instead of using a clarinet or something. But, I mean, I write songs as well. So that's just... Yeah, but, I mean, a lot of the major figures, like you talked about Elvis, from the Sinatras to the Billie Holidays and all those people going right back to whenever. Billie Holiday wrote songs. Did, well, not very many. Yes, yeah, she did. She wrote did she? Um, Strange Fruit. No, she did. Strange Fruit was a poem that by Langston Hughes, which is set to music. No, she did write God Bless the Child. Oh, right. No, Strange Fruit is a hell of a lyric. Yeah. I mean, really. She wrote that. That's astounding stuff. Well, just, you know the way, talk a little about the way you use the uh, the voices on uh, the You Know It's You. You know the way, I mean, it's a very meticulous arrangement. You're bringing in layers of voices on one word first, then as harmony. You know what I mean? You meticulously work with that, or does it just kind of fall together in the studio? Um... No, I mean, well, actually, on this album, I probably use less um, harmonies than I have done in previous work right. because uh, this is the first album I've done since I've been working live a lot, and um, there's a, you know that's in the back of my head now. It's right. like you know I don't right. want to make this right. totally unreproducible, right. or, or I mean, obviously there are harmonies in some places that there are more than others, but I'm have, I'm aware now in the back of my head that you know there's going to we're going to go out and, and be doing this, right. and that obviously I'm not taking a choir with me. Right. And uh, you know, there's a, you know, I have a, a band, but I mean, they're only going to be able to sing a, a certain amount. They're not going to be able to do all the parts I do. Right. <laughs> and right. um, so you recorded with aware of those limitations. Well, I was, yeah. What I was right. trying to do is just to get the, the lead vocal stronger, really, because I, you know, I used to be so nervous about um, performing before that when I didn't, you know, do live stuff, that um, it's like I'd do the lead vocal and I think, oh, well, I'll put 20 other vocals on it as right, well and, right. you know, build it up that way. And I think now I just sort of concentrate on getting the one good one and then, like, right. just little little bits here and there where I need them, you know. Well, that's why I mean people have said that we haven't seen Enya perform much with 120 vocal tracks in one particular song. How do you reproduce that on stage? Well, exactly, you know. You know what I mean? That can be, that's the kind of, kind of hell of a drawback. I mean, great albums that sell beautifully, but then when somebody wants you to perform, you're kind of lost with one voice. You also use classical influences, well, you know, Soho Square and jazz-based stuff. I mean, you have all those, and that's going to be a problem in terms of reproducing Well, I've got, I mean, I'm quite lucky in the fact that the band I've got are very, very versatile, and, uh, you know, I thought, I, I went out and toured America before Christmas, and, um, you know, I'd never done a proper big tour there. I'd only played in New York and yeah. Los Angeles before, and uh, so, 
really it was a, an opportunity to play stuff off the, you know the new album and the last two albums as well and old singles and right. everything and it and you know just getting the right band who can actually cope with playing a latin song yeah. and then going and doing a few rock numbers and then doing misogynist regrets so, you know yeah i mean i think if you get really good competent musicians you know who have a gift for lots of different kinds of music and versatility right. then you're okay and i was you know i've got a great band together but um but that broad spectrum of music tapping into all that is really what defines the work you're doing. Well, I suppose so. To shift from that I get criticised, you know, for having too many influences. It's like, oh, well, she's doing this or she's doing that, you know, as if you have no right to, to experiment. You know, I'm sorry, but you, you, I'm sorry, but didn't you write teen ballads? You better keep doing that, you know. Well, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's the age of specialisation. I think that's the curse in terms of any art, you know. Where I think it makes everything boring, you know. Well, it's also record companies tend to market you a certain way. Yeah. And radio stations want you to be a certain way. Well, it makes player. radio programming easier yeah. if you stay in your box, you know, yeah. and, and your category and, and don't, um, you know, don't venture out into any other things. But that's like turning around to a painter and saying, look, you can do anything you like, but you can only use blue. <laughs> you can know? only do landscapes. Well, you, you, you did say that you don't use, uh, unless this is a misquote from the same interview, Song, <coughs> songs to get across, like, I think you used the image of bleeding through somebody's speakers, you know, like pouring your emotions well, that, through the songs. Um, I think that's because, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, you know, why, why is your delivery so deadpan? And to me, it's not deadpan, it's really passionate. Right. <laughs> but, you know, well, I suppose, I you know... I it's deadpan. Who said it's deadpan? Deadpan well, delivery? Yeah. All right. Okay. I mean, some, well, that's, you know, I'm glad you don't think so, right. but obviously somebody else did. But, right. um... I just tend to, I find it really hard listening to those people who have really big voices and they're all going, yeah, you know, yeah. that sort of um, over kind of, I don't know, over emoting, yeah, I find that, you know, you don't need to do it. And I don't find it very convincing because a lot of the people who do it are the sort of people that I can't listen to at all. You oh, know? you mean the vocal style, the style is yeah. kind of... Uh... Well, a lot of that, I mean, that could go back to just the purest respect for a song, that you're not supposed to fracture a song with your own ego and your own emotions. You're supposed to just respect the song, the lyric, the music, and it'll yeah. work. Yeah, well, I just, you know, I mean, a lot of those songs that are sung that, that way, to me, they're very poor songs in the first place, a right. lot of them, and they're very right. sort of, like, overused kind of, you know, ideas and, and coming from the same yeah. angle all the time. Yeah. And yeah. I find, yeah. I don't know how people can go and be convincingly kind of, like, my way every time, you know. <laughs> but you do that when you say you don't express. It's not you're not saying you don't express your emotions through songs. There's a lot of romantic longings in that come out through a lot of the songs. Oh yeah, world. I mean, of course you express your emotions through them, but I just don't think I don't think that I think they're more expressed in the words than, than probably in my voice. Start of singing. Yeah. Yeah. What about something like Soho Square? Well, that's yeah. a romantic song. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you ever feel your life could be saved by an embrace or a kiss? I mean, oh, is yeah. that romantic? Yeah. Longing. I mean, that's a pretty dark-hearted song too. Like, you know, that kiss can save you from dying before your birthday or whatever. Very good. That's a poet. Somebody listening. That's true reflection of yourself. Um. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. I wasn't. You know, there are some songs where I, where I assume a character. Right. Really, and become a character and become that person for the for the duration of the song. And there's other songs that are just kind of you know more me really. I think Tower Square. Is more you. Yeah. And you really felt that feeling. Is that a painful or a joyful feeling to feel you could be saved by a kiss? But it's both, isn't it? I think pain and joy are sort of fairly mixed up. You know, they're fairly mixed up on this album. They are, aren't they? Yeah. It, within the same songs, within the, even, you know, there's always a kind of double layer to even the joyful songs or celebratory songs. There's another kind of tone underneath them. 
Well, it's all, you know, all these emotions are flip sides of the same coin, really. I think, yeah. you know, you can't really be hurt by someone who, um, who you don't love, do you know what I mean? Right. It's like, you know, if somebody slagged you off and, you're not, and you don't really care about them, it's not half as kind of deep as if somebody who you really adore, you know. Yeah, but you're also saying about amazing. being hurt by somebody who doesn't even know you love them. <laughs> Aren't you? You know, it's kind of like this kind of uh, unknown quantity love or something that can't be expressed. I mean, there are those kind of feelings and emotions being explored on the album. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to yeah, be very careful here. Why don't you know I'm talking about those things? So what about Bad? You did that last night on the... Uh, I think yeah. you'll be singing for a lot of women there. I quoted <laughs> the lyric to two friends and they said, being there, seeing that, done that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that kind of, I think it's very good. But it is obviously, I mean, that kind of notion of, uh, I love the uh, token woman all my life, token daughter, you know, said with so many tokens. I mean, what is that rooted in? Well, I mean, that was, you know, obviously a bit, it's tongue in cheek yeah, and it's sure. obviously a bit, you know, a bit autobiographical. But it also, I mean, I think I sort of started out thinking of the first three lines and thinking, uh, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> bloody hell. <laughs> but, um, but I think. What, anger? Yeah, it's frustra well, frustration more than anger, really, just right. general frustration. And I think a lot of people are, you know, frustrated. And I suppose as you get older, you start being aware of all the things that you haven't done, you know, that you may never do. Because when you're young, you think, oh, I haven't done that yet. I can't wait to do that. Oh, right. God, I'm going to do that as well, you know. And um, I suppose, you know, when you get older and, you know, you've had a family or whatever, you know, there's you're more aware that there's a possibility that quite a lot of the things that you dreamed of doing, you, you know, you may never get the opportunity. Right. And, um, but I also, I, I just, I had this really strong image of a woman who would, who would be like, work, probably making breakfast for her kids and they go to school and she works all day. And then to earn extra money, she goes out and cleans offices in the evening. Right. And, um, you know, and then she'll have to go back and make their tea and stuff. And, and right. she's, the reason it's sort of like so creepy is because she's actually having a nervous breakdown, but oh, right. okay. she's, um, <laughs> she's cleaning up in this office and singing very quietly because she's going completely bananas, you know. And uh, at the frustration of her life. Yeah. All the things about her that she has. Well, yeah, she just her. feels like you know, it's like, what's the point of all this? Right. You know? right. It's a bit Charlie Valentine, you know. The, yeah, I the, suppose the hands so. on my buttocks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know Charlie. It's Shirley. a bit. It's a cross between Shirley Valentine <laughs> and, and Lorraine Bobbitt, I suppose. Oh, is that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Which aspect of the Bobbitt? Well, it's a carving knife in the last verse. Can't you hear it? We <laughs> used it as a percussion instrument. Yeah. That's symbolic, isn't it? Well, you know, it was funny because I'd, I'd written it about a year before we went and toured it in America, and um, when we did it, they, the trial was being televised at that time, and everyone, would, you know, I'd say, "Oh, this is a song about a frustrated woman with a carving knife," and they'd all go, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> Would uh, that, that kind of, but the, there's also a valid longing there. I mean, there are probably many women of a particular generation or whatever who suddenly do realize there are those potentials they never explored. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, apart from the human There's probably a lot of men too, but um, I think uh, women are more likely to sort of subjugate their own desires in order to, you know, please their families than men are a lot of the time. I don't right, think it's expected right. of men quite as right, much. I mean, right. it's expected of a woman, and, you know, and even the most right-on people still feel like that. And I get, you know, it's like when people say to me, how do you manage to juggle a career and a family? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. who's ever asked a man that question? Has yeah. anybody ever said to a, a male pop star, hey, how did you manage to go on tour? You know, you actually just had a baby. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. like, well, of course they go on tour. You know, I don't have to do it, do I? I don't have to clean nappies and all that stuff. 
but it's something that's always assumed that the woman will give up everything that she's ever wanted to do in order to look after the family. Well, many do. Many of them do. Yeah. Many of them have to, yeah, or they're not in a position you know, to choose. to do that. Would you risk a uh, husband and children for a fling with a fleeting stranger? <laughs> Probably not, but it's uh, fun to write about. Would, would you not, though? I mean, because I'm sure there are many women, or many men, but maybe more women, because I've just talked about, who do seriously consider, who find themselves in a situation and have to make a choice. I don't know, I'll have to find myself in a situation yeah. first. <laughs> so those songs aren't out of direct experiences like that. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, come on. You've got, but the same, the same theme runs through Titanic Days. I mean, there is this kind of sense of romantic longing through all those songs. You know, they operate, a lot of the songs operate in a twilight world. Yeah. Like just before dawn or just after darkness. I mean, isn't there that link between maybe three, four songs on the album? It hour? is, and I think it was quite, I was in quite a dark sort of mood, really, for a lot of the album. Yeah. Um, but I hope it doesn't sort of come out as a oh, depressing record. Yeah. No, not, no well, not depressing, but it might suggest that this is what you're travelling through, whether you've adopted a persona well, I think you get song. certain period, you know, every few years in your life you have a t period, or I do, of total reassessment and right. thinking, well, is this it, you know? Is this it? <laughs> right. Is, is there anything else? This is the more? <laughs> right. But is that what's coming through in these songs? Were these written through a period of re-evaluation? Yeah. Way? I mean, there was a lot of things, you know, going on, and just, I mean, career-wise and, and lots of other things, too, and uh, it was a sort of, you know, well, I don't know how you put it, really. Um, you see, I really think this is how people are going to hook into the album, because I get those resonances from the songs, wherever they're coming from. I think that's what people are going to tune into or hook into, you know, especially those four, four, four at least four songs, which have that kind of... Uh, whatever it is, romantic longing or darkness or contemplative feel to them, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when you're young, you have this confidence um, about so many things. You see things much more in black and white, and everything's good or bad or, you know, this or that, and you have these sort of polarised views of everything. Right. And I just think that, you know, as you get a bit older, you start realising that it's there's an awful lot of grey right. between the black and white. In fact, the grey sort of merges into everything, you know, so... Uh, so these are songs in shades of grey. <laughs> are they? What about That's Titanic it. Days with that kind of epic ending? I mean, what is that? She's going down after these liaisons in a non-too-cheap hotel. <laughs> She's coming down. What, what, what is, why does it end like that? I mean, it's like... Well, I don't know. When I wrote it with Mark Nevin, and when we wrote... Um, when we'd sort of written the main part of the song, I, I said to him, I've got the... You know, it, I really want to get Fear Crow Trench on this because he, right. he's the string arranger. Yeah. He worked on he worked on Soho Square and and I've you know worked with him over the years and I just I just thought that he was perfect, you know, it was like this is the album for to get Fear Crow on, you know. Right. Um and uh I always had this vision of having it you know, I just wanted that it, it there was all this kind of like turmoil going on at the beginning of the song and then it, it, it needed a sort of serenity at the end to sort of resolve it for me because right. otherwise it was just kind of too dark, you know. And I think I did this thing with the radio where I went along, you know, the dial right. and recorded yeah. it right. along every station, the little snatches of things. And then right at the end, well, I don't know what it was because we were just, you know, just doing it, sort of, let's take this and we'll go along yeah. together. When I got to the end of the dial, it was just this white noise that was just going... <laughs> And I kept waiting for it to end. I thought, oh, it must be an explosion or something. And then it just went on and on and on, you know, and it was just, it was so um, 
such a brilliant sound. I thought, well, that, you know, that, it's sort of like, it could be either a ship going down or it could be like Hiroshima, you know? <laughs> and, um, and then I put on originally, a, you know, I had a bit, um, I used a bit of Wagner or something just to give the mood of, right. of um, how I was going to end it. Um, so that I could say to Fearful, look, I don't want this music here, but I want you to do, take the theme from the rest of the song and write a piece that we can put over the end that will be really romantic and right. sweet and sad and, you know, stick the gold in it. Yeah. It's just like Shirley Valentine again. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh -oh. that woman having the breakdown. <laughs> but it's very heavy. I mean, it's like, but don't go home, tomorrow never comes. They do have that, that they are again about the pain of lost longing and that, I mean, whatever. Uh, this is the core kind of feeling that comes to all those two songs too. Yeah. Yeah. And the pain of that being worth it. You know, it's that kind of thing that whatever it, whatever the price paid for this was, it was the experience was worth it or... Yeah. And is that what comes through? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I know to positivity after all. <laughs> yeah, 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 after all that. No, but it's not what it is. I mean, you said you hope the album or those particular songs are not depressing, even if they look at kind of darker emotions. Well, you know, I don't think... Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I enjoy sad music, you know, I think a lot of people do. It's not necessarily depressing. It's kind of, it makes, you know, you can sit there and, in, and enjoy, you know, crying along to an old movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you don't think, oh, I mustn't do this because I'm not having a good time. You are actually having a good time, but you're in, really in touch with a lot of emotions that you sure. don't normally express, I suppose. Like who? Who, do, who, has, who has done that for you? Who would you listen to that would serve that purpose? Um... Well, on certain occasions, uh, you know, the Smiths and Morrissey and right. stuff, but uh, I mean, there's quite a lot of classical music. It doesn't really have to have right. lyrics in it to make sure. you feel that sort of emotion, you know. <laughs> well, I don't listen to a lot of Wagner, but... No, that's pretty heavy stuff. It was just um, a little piece of used on that, you know, just to give a, an idea to the musicians, really. But, uh, no, I mean, I suppose it depends what sort of mood you're in and if you're that sort of person and if you're, if you're one of these people who finds it incredibly hard to open up or whether it's sort of like... You know, always, you know, just bubbling under the surface and just waiting to gush out. You know. Right. Are you a person who finds it incredibly hard to open up? Um, I feel a strong resistance to some of the questions. If you think I'm trying to tear into your inner, the recesses of your soul, well, I think which I'm, I'm not. You know, but you do, yeah, do I mean, seem to be. Well, I'm quite a private person, really, right. and I find it quite hard to talk about, you know, personal things. Really, I don't think that's in, in, pu in public situations like this kind of well, interview, yeah. as opposed to. Yeah. As opposed to, to with an analyst, yeah, <laughs> or a friend, yeah, yeah. No, but then there are people who don't even open up like that to uh, friends or lovers or husbands or wives and find that music or art in any form is what opens the channel. Well, I feel, yeah. I mean, music sort of makes me feel better than anything else. Really. Yeah, you know, it does actually. That's better. Make in me touch with in touch with yourself more, kind of. Um, I suppose so. Um. Better. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's it's like an escape, you know, in your head. I mean, I, I mean, when I was a kid, and I used to get home from school. The first thing I'd do is go down to my room and put on a record and just like, you know, be and I'd be immediately right. somewhere else. I wouldn't be at my school, you know, right. having a hard time. I'd be like in wherever I wanted to be and right. you know, doing things that I wasn't doing really, but you know, just kind of. You know, it transports you really, and uh, makes you think, "Oh, it's, yeah, life isn't all completely crap." You know. Right, right. You want your music to serve the same purpose in ways people obviously work. Does well, ask. yeah. I think that hopefully, you know, if, if you've done a good job and a, a, a song's good, then people will will draw 
what they need from it. And they might interpret it in a way that you hadn't sure. intended, but that doesn't matter. It's as valid. I mean, your interpretation of my songs is as valid as what, what they're actually about. Even if they're, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> very good. And anybody's is. No, do you know what you I mean? mean? That, the interpretations are that far off the wall. No, no, no. But um, <laughs> you know, some people, you know, some people are, you know, you know, spot on, and some people think it's about something completely different. But I don't. But it doesn't matter because the point is they've got some. Right. out of it and they've drawn some conclusion and, sure. they've, and they've found something in it that they can relate to and that's I think what a good song is about you know because right. you don't have to ring up you know well you can't now but you, you wouldn't you wouldn't have to ring up Lennon and McCartney and say I really like that song what exactly is it about you yeah, know what I mean yeah. it's like it doesn't really matter if, if they wrote it about the dog or if they wrote right. it about the, right. the father or, or their lover or whatever it, it's kind of you know it's whether or not you recognize an emotion in there well, you don't want to be... some human frailty, you know. It's a mecca of yourself, right? Yeah. Humanity. You don't influence uh, women to running off the carbon nitro bad, do you? Well, far be it from me to hold them back. <laughs> so you do. <laughs> so, OK, well, I'll wrap up then by saying, which which interpretations of songs did I get so far removed from what they were? No, oh, no, I don't think you have. I think you're sort of pretty... You know, I think it's... Uh, I think you've listened to... No, I don't want to misrepresent... <laughs> I really don't want to misrepresent the song because my readers are going to judge you know, to an extent. No, you haven't misrepresented the songs. I think you're um, pretty on, on the right track. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, but pushing too far. Well, I, you know, the thing is you spend a lot of time, you know, months and months and like years of your life sort of working towards doing these songs. And if you could turn around and just say, oh, well, that's about that, that and that sure. in two minutes, then sure. you wouldn't have had to write the song in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Okay. It just would, it would make it all unnecessary. <laughs> but it's, what's important is what the song becomes actually then to the listener. What yeah. saying, what she, he takes from it as opposed to... Yeah, what they find to, to... Relate to their own Relate lives. to, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can leave it there. Time with enough. <laughs> Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. The Kirsten McCall article, as I said earlier, is available at my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.